Welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. I'm Alex McCumbers, and with me here is the man with the plan, Zachary Snyder. Hello, hello. <clears throat> so today we've got the starts of a show. We are actually doing our very first recording. This may or may not be an episode. If it ends up being an episode, it'll be like an episode zero. But this is, in fact, the first time we've sat down to do a Forever Classic podcast. We've done a, a previous show before. What do we even call that show? I think it was for Giga a, Geek Magazine. I remember that. That might have been what we left it as, is a Giga Geek podcast at that time. That might have been it. So there's whenever we sit down to do this podcast, there's a, there's a couple different things that we want to do. We want to do the very stereotypical, I guess I could say, gaming news and just reactions and discussion on what's going on currently in the gaming world. But we also want to cover some topics, too, like different points in history or like focusing on a specific franchise. And then we also want to do this interesting narrative thing that'll go into a more artistic recreation of certain stories, which can also be kind of topic based. Like, oh, this is the history of Hideo Kojima. And here's like his story told as a story. Just to just to get us started. Um, I'm Alex. I'm a writer over at Marooners Rock and I grew up in West Virginia. And I've been gaming since I was like two. I'm Zach Snyder. I'm a manager for a company in Northern Virginia. I also grew up in West Virginia, not too far from Alex, relatively for West Virginia driving anyway. I moved down here to Virginia a couple months ago. Me and Alex got the idea that we were going to do some podcasting together. And... Which is interesting because like, I wasn't super into podcasting. And then I, I was watching uh, Metal Jesus, the, the girl that's always on there. Kelsey's like, oh, we also have a podcast, a Game Blitz podcast. And I'm like, she's fun. I like listening to her commentary on like retro stuff. So I look it up and now I have like seven different podcasts I listen to regularly. I listen to a lot of narrative podcasting and a lot of storytelling podcasting. There's so many of them that I love that I've talked Alex's ear off about a couple of them. Oh my God, I love rabbits. Rabbits is great, but I need to continue on uh, with Welcome to Night Vale. I listened to the first episode of it <laughs> and it, it was like, it didn't make sense. <laughs> Here's all these little sparse details. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I just assumed the next episode would make more sense. Uh, yeah, kind of. Because, you know, other stuff's going on in that world. So it just keeps evolving. Uh, and that newscaster keeps evolving and talking about the new stuff going on. That's cool. And then uh, I listened to um, the Argcast, which is my buddy Robert Workman and, and David. And they actually had me on episode, like, 50 or 49. And that was fun. Because we, like... They've got some fun little games and stuff that they play, and it, it was an interesting time. We talked about the history of Konami, which I'm pretty well versed in from, like, the Castlevania side of things, but, like, I realized just how many franchises Konami owns. I was kind of blown away by that. <clears throat> I know uh, they have Silent Hill, which was super depressing because they canceled that awesome project. Oh, it looked so good. I know. Like, the demo was one of the hallmarks of horror gaming within the last, like, seven to eight years. Yeah. I still have it on my PlayStation. I kept I it saved. Too. I wouldn't delete it that way. I always had it. And it's great because they took it down, but uh, within the last, I don't know, six months, they put it back. Oh, so really? it is available because people were aggravated. They're like, this was a moment in history that like defined horror gaming. And eventually they buckled and put it back on the PlayStation market. Good. They should. All right, Zach. So let's get into some gaming news from around the world. This will be all sorts of different news headlines that we can pick apart, discuss. And I'm going to start with probably the most interesting thing to me. It was announced at like 11 at night, which makes sense considering the Japanese time zone. 
but Nintendo has revealed the new 2DS XL. The uh-huh. 2DS. It, okay, so for those of you who don't know, the 2DS is a single slate DS alternative that was sold originally for $149.99, I believe, but it has since dropped below 100 and it was just a very cheap, tough little device that was, like, built for children, but I actually <clears> got <throat> it as a budget 3DS to start playing, like, Pokemon on, and I love the 2DS. Yeah. Did you ever mess with one, Zach? <clears throat> the thing was very rugged, uh, and it was it was hard bodied, like a solid hard body. But this one looks like it's a flippable, like clamshell, like the 3DS normally is. So yeah, it's very exciting looking, and it has amiibo support. It has all the features of the new 3DS, including the like performance upgrade. So things like Smash Brothers will work better on it. It'll play that one Xenoblade game, and including like the C stick and stuff. But it is, I'm assuming, a a more durable clamshell. Which is cool because I actually find the new 3DS kind of cheap. It just doesn't feel as sturdy as, like, my original 2DS. So I'm actually considering trading my new 3DS for this. This is something I'd be interested to pick up. Uh, And then I still have my first-gen 3DS, but uh, my hands are a little too big for it. But I think it's cool, too, because this is Nintendo saying, Hey, we haven't forgotten about the 3DS market, and we're going to prove that by showing you this alternative to the Switch. Now, is it going to play nice with the Switch? That's a good question. I don't know if it, like, will have any sort of cross-functionality, because we haven't really seen that much on the 3DS Wii U side, except for, like, Smash Brothers and uh, Monster Hunter 3. And that was that was the <laughs> thing that I got into it the most about. Uh, probably one of the prime reasons I picked up um, the, the 3DS in the first place. Other than Animal Crossing come out, and I'm an avid Animal Crossing fan, uh, everybody in the house had Monster Hunter of some sort, and since Travis had it on the Wii U, we all could sit around on our 3DS and play with him on his console. That's my absolute favorite feature of any sort of co-op gaming that I've played in the last 10 years. That was the most fun in the living room I've had in a long time. Um, I'm really hoping for a Switch version of Monster Hunter, fingers crossed. Yes. I know it's coming. It's gotta be revealed at E3. It has to. I know, like... 3D, fully functional, use it with a pro controller Monster Hunter. Like, thank you. Yes. The thing is, though, there are alternatives. You can play Tokaden, and then there's also uh, Dauntless is coming out later this year for PC players. Otherwise, in the news, we have Gundam Versus. The uh, the series that's been around in Japan for quite a while is finally coming to the West on PS4. It's 2v2 combat. There's also a 3v3 mode. People compare it to Zone of the Enders. Like, you're doing a lot of dashing and a lot of battle in the air. But you have projectiles and like melee attacks and stuff. It's also going to be featured featuring mechs from uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans, which is the, one of the most successful Gundam series going on right now. It's super tragic and uh, it gets really, really heavy in that emotional phase going through. But the battles awesome. just get better and better and better. Ooh. Because it's not just, here's your Gundam, here's what's going on. It's like, here's your Gundam and through it they're like, okay, you know... We found ways to upgrade this, and now it's, you know, uh, Barbados, uh, basically um, the Wolf King Barbados, because it starts off just mm. a stock, like, uh, you know, humanoid style, but then yeah. it's a tail addition to it. I wonder if, um, is the series over? Like, is it done? It is. Uh, at least the first season of whatever's going on ended. Like, all of the episodes okay. are done. Cool. Um, I'm kind of excited for Gundam Versus, because I love that sort of combat it's cool that we're finally getting like a full gundam game that isn't dynasty warriors so this is finally like an actual competitive sort of game and then also be like super fans of the series and that's incredibly exciting because it looks like there's some upgrade components you can do in it as well 
And that seems to be a uh, a trend throughout the ages for Gundam. Like, if you notice in even early things uh, in Gundam Wing, and even the first Mobile Suit Gundam, the Gundams evolved over time. They changed over time. And that was, like, some of the highlights of the series is how they're going to get better and just more badass. But the uh, the evolution of things makes stuff much more interesting because, you know, because you're going to make it fit you. You're going to make it fit your situation as any kind of stuff, like, in a pilot's, like, sort of shoes. So... Getting the option to change it and customize it sounds really, really nice. Because inherently what goes into piloting is mechanics. So those of us that like to not only play as the Gundams, but also tinker with them, I feel like both both sides are going to be uh, satisfied. <clears throat> Coming back to Iron-Blooded Orphans that I really enjoyed is because uh, through the first couple episodes, I'm sure you realize that almost everybody in uh, Takadin are mechanical and that's what goes on into the evolution of the Gundams that they acquire. They're a bunch of mechanics, and they're like, hey, I can make this better and do this other thing. It's going <laughs> to help us a lot. Like, and it makes it relatable, too, because the, the act of being mechanic is a very, like, salt-of-the-earth-style job, and it, it's easy to relate to, even though it's giant robots in space. I don't know if... Because I don't see anything on Gundam versus talking about it, but, like, um, in Iron-Blooded Orphans, you even get to see them having to dock mid-battle repair like refuel rearm and get yeah back that out. was that was important in even the first episodes that i saw yeah and that, that's a made it keeps going through the whole thing like it's not like you're impervious or like you can just hop in the hangar and just boom you're bolted another thing it's like you have to get in there and they have to hold you down for a half hour you can get out you can eat use the bathroom you know whatever like get your mind back in the game while instead of the fight you. being like the Gundam goes out, has the fight, and then that's all it can do. It's a more organic, a more um, realistic military approach to it. That's crazy. So, so what is your favorite mech suit then from the Gundam, like, lore and universe? There's three that I really like. Uh, from Iron-Blooded Orphans, I really grew into liking the main one, uh, Barbatos, because it's, it's mm -hmm. simple, but I think it just comes with the pilot. Because he gets really close to the Gundam, just like most other pilots do to Death Scythe from Gundam Wing, I think it is. I'm trying to think of the one that I like. Uh, I know the series it's from. It's Gundam Suit 0080 War in the Pocket. It's a very short series. It's like six episodes long, and there's a, there's one major Zeon mobile suit called Camphor, and it's awesome. But the Gundam is my favorite mobile suit because not only is it awesome because it has like this extra heavy armor it can put on, and it has... Um, it uses like a FAMAS rifle and it's got hidden miniguns and stuff in it. But it also has my name across the shield. And I thought that was awesome as a kid. Because <laughs> the, the one character's name is Alex. And I was like, yes, that's the Gundam for me. Like, I have a model of it and everything. I love it. I'd like to say the Gundam is NT1. Also in the news, Dead Space 2 and 3 are now backwards compatible on the Xbox One. Which means that uh, Xbox One fans are now able to enjoy those two, eh, I wouldn't say great games, but definitely were worthy entries in the series on a higher performing system that actually just feels better and dead space 2 i actually just saw a really good uh a critique on it by mark brown and he's currently dissecting the dead space franchise and it's really interesting how he goes about it because he just goes super in depth he uh compares it to the rest of the franchise he talks about things like atmosphere and pacing and it's it's a really cool series that i wish i, I wish i would have sat down and played them all the way through I think I have Dead Space 2 on Steam, actually. Maybe I need to jump back into it. Well, they... What's cool about 3 is it's it's a very wintry environment, right? Like, it's very cold, and it's on a, a pretty desolate planet. 
And whenever it first came out, even though that game's not the best in the series by far, it's probably the worst. But uh, whenever it first came out, my buddy Chris and one of his roommates decided they were going to go full immersion. And it was in the dead of winter, of course, in West Virginia, where it's like super cold anyways. And they sat in their house, played co-op, and then opened all the windows uh-huh. and just sat in the cold playing Dead Space 3. He was like, it was one of the best co-op experiences of his life. I'm interested to uh, check out the series more because I love Resident Evil 4. It's like one of my favorite games ever. Like I just got it on PS4 probably a few months ago and I'm finally sitting down and playing through the PS4 version. Yeah, they- I own it on like every console that's available. <laughs> <laughs> they have it on sale like everywhere. Like just recently they've had a lot of sales on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of my favorite that they had was Humble Bundle did a, a Capcom series on PS3. And for like 15 bucks, you got Resident Evil 1 and uh, that other one they remade in HD on PS4. You got both of those and like the Devil May Cry trilogy on PS3 and like Mega Man 9 and 10. Like it was a great package. I forgot about Devil May Cry. I missed that. DMC didn't exist in that universe. I need to try it out. I've been wanting to. I just uh, I felt very differently it, about it because I was attached to the old story. Yeah, and if you're super attached to the old story, they poke fun at fans like they specifically go out of their way to say i'm not dante i'm much cooler and everybody's just like ah man come on (laughs) (laughs) don't bring that in here get out of here and that i think that's the biggest drawback of that if they'd have just put a traditional dante in it it would have sold like hotcakes because the game is like super good i'm not super upset about them changing the character it's just it makes me sad that so many people missed out on it because of that because it actually is a pretty sweet game yeah, I mean, I honestly, too, I, I kind of steered away from it just because of the way it looked and sounded. Um, it sounded very childy and very goofy to me, and I was used to, yeah. like, Dante being this very silly guy, but in very serious circumstances. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, everything around him was serious. Oh, yeah, Ford had that, too. He had a very serious side. Whatever, you get to see him joking around a lot while he's oh, doing yeah. stuff. In 3, yeah, 3, he's super hilarious. At least in cutscenes, not so much, like, he doesn't make random quips or anything like most protagonists end up doing. Which, speaking of Devil May Cry, um, I really want to sit down and play Bayonetta because it recently came to PC. And apparently it's a great PC port. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I have not played Bayonetta. I keep hearing lots of stuff about it, though. People are saying it's like, if you talk to action gamers and they're aware of what it is and they're fan of like some of the Japanese stuff, most of the time they'll say one of their favorite games is Bayonetta 1 and 2. Which is unfortunate because Bayonetta 2 was released on the very small install or the very small user base of the Wii U. And you could also pick up Bayonetta 1 and 2 packaged together if you can catch that particular release. They released it later with just Bayonetta 2. So if you're hunting for both of them, keep an eye on that. But it did just recently, the first one came to PC, so that's cool because the 360 and PS3 versions are kind of subpar, especially in the frame rate department. And now the game just looks excellent. So I know that um, that I've got into, I've jumped head first into this, but the Nintendo Switch has sold almost 3 million in its first month. 3 million! That's almost more than the Wii U sold in its first 10 months, which I believe was like 4.25 million. Yeah, that's exciting too. People really like it. I actually went to DC the other day with Lauren, where we live so close, um, mm-hmm. and commuting in and around on the metro, I got to see a guy playing. Um, it was some sort of Mario something on his Switch in front of us, sitting. And that's my favorite way to play right now. I'm not a big fan of connecting it to the TV, just because I don't like the Joy-Con as much. But whenever you're holding it connected to the tablet, it, it just it feels pretty nice. The only thing that bothers me is the controller is very flat. And I don't necessarily like the thumbsticks as much. Like, if it had more of a form factor or some sort of snap-on that made it more handily, 
I'd be way more into it. And I haven't got the Pro Controller yet, so that's also a big thing. Like, a lot of people say if you pick up the Pro Controller, it feels more like a traditional console. I was very yeah. impressed by the uh, touchscreen and, like, its responsiveness and how well it was sensitive to things. It's a quick little system. What's also crazy to think about is the Switch sold this much with kind of a limited supply in the middle of March. <laughs> like, the way you launched in Christmas. Or, like, the holiday season. It was, like, November or October or something like that. But either way, the Switch comes out, like, March 10th or something, whatever it was. In that short time span of, like, 20, 30 days has sold almost as much as the Wii U did in, in 10 months. Which and it's is, only going to get better from here. Yeah, yeah, there's no going back. Because Nintendo has already said, hey, we're ramping up production, we're going to make this many more units, and by the time Christmas rolls around, it's not going to be hard to get one. And they're not expensive. That's what, uh, like, that's the cool part, is we have an actual, I wouldn't say it's a next-gen console, quote-unquote, like the PS4 or the Xbox. They're very hard to compare because you get different game experience on each. But it is a capable system for $300 that's also portable. Uh, but I, so far, I've been enjoying the Switch. Um, I played through Zelda, which was fantastic. Everybody needs to play it. That's probably the reason most of you own a Switch. And then I played uh, Bomberman R, which wasn't bad. I mean, it's it's Bomberman. It should have been way less expensive than the $50 they were asking for it. Because it feels like a $20 game. Um, and then I played Snake Pass on Switch, which was brilliant. Snake Pass is such a cool game. You can get it on just about every console. And on Switch, it works really well. Hmm. So, so far, I've been enjoying the Switch. It hasn't, it still hasn't captured me as much as the Vita did or as much as the PS4 does. Mostly because the, uh, the online network of like older games, which is what I have a tendency to focus on, isn't as robust, even compared to like the 3DS. So, they haven't added Virtual Console yet. Uh, they, I don't think they've added a whole lot of multiplayer online functionality because they wanted to make something very similar to Xbox Live, but I'm pretty certain that's not out yet. I think that comes out this summer. But Mario Kart did just come out, and people are loving it. It's like the definitive version of Mario Kart 8. Also coming to the Nintendo Switch is a little game called Dragon Quest XI, which people are pumped for. Not only is it coming to Nintendo Switch, but it's also coming to 3DS and PS4. So Dragon Quest is obviously a very well-loved series. I always heard growing up that... Japan cannot release Dragon Quest on a workday because people just won't come to work. <laughs> it is it one has of their... to be released on like a Friday night. Yeah, it's one of the uh, the country's top RPGs. Like I think two or three iterations of it hold their top RPG spots. Yep, and it's a consistent bestseller. Like it surprised me whenever Dragon Quest Builders came out for the PS Vita because the PS Vita version sold more than any other game that month. <laughs> and even Japan's not super into the Vita. No, no. But, hell, they're into that game, though. Yeah, that's the thing. They'll pick up any console that Dragon Quest is on. So that's what we need to really up-switch sales and to get people to uh, treat it as a full system. You put Monster Hunter on it, you put Mario on it, you put Dragon Quest on it, and maybe Final Fantasy. A lot of people pick up systems for Final Fantasy, and then it's sold. But it's cool because the uh, the 3DS version has, like, two different graphic styles. There's, like, the uh, the Dragon Quest Eight currently 3DS style, and then there's also that classic 16-bit pixel art style, which I thought was crazy. Mm -hmm. It basically means they made the same game twice. 
And they've also put it on PS4 and Switch with, like, really nice Unreal graphics. And obviously the PS4 version probably looks the best, but it's just, it's a wild game. It has a lot of different graphical style, and those who are into, like, that classic turn-based RPG are gonna find a good time in Dragon Quest XI. Um, the Collector's Edition, too, actually comes with the 3DS and the PS4 version. It's the weirdest bundle I think I've ever seen. <laughs> um, have you seen the weird slime controller? Yeah, yeah, that was actually a remake of the uh, the old PS2 controller, which came <laughs> out when Dragon Quest VIII came out. Uh, I could not imagine, you know, picking it up and playing with it. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be it'd be a, such a fun item to have. Yeah. You know, something unique to have and play with. Because not only is it a fully functional PS4 controller, but you turn it upside down and here you've got a statue to one of your favorite franchises, perhaps. And it's only like... It's okay. So PS4 controllers retail about sixty-five, and this is ninety-nine. So I mean, that's not too big of a jump, in my opinion. No, no, not for you know. You get a statue controller. It looks cool. It looks silly. And, and then functional. it's a conversation piece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you're getting the bang for your buck out of it for sure. Yeah, and actually, I don't think the PS2 one they released years ago was wireless. So that makes it with even more functionality than the original model. Because if you look at the PS2 one and the PS4 one, they're practically the same, like, shell. It's basically the same dimensions of the slime itself. They're also doing a a metallic slime new 2DS XL, the console we mentioned earlier, but it's also Japanese exclusive. Oh, Saddest of days. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's cool that, like, the 3DS and PS4 versions also have, which I assume this works on the Switch as well, there's a cross-save-like feature Basically, it's a password system that kind of it tells it tells the game, "Hey, the player is here. This is the level they should be at. This is the stuff they should have." So it's not like exact cross save. It does it like estimates a lot of things. So I, I can see people using it to like if they haven't played the game maybe in a long time, jump over to the PS4 and get back into it, or vice versa. But for those actually like that are wanting to upgrade their character and and do the grinding and all that it might not be a feature a lot of people use all right so that's pretty much most of the the best gaming news headlines from around the world for more news check out our buddies over at wwg.com my, my buddy rob workman apparently they're close to um 10 million hits for the month they uh they got like 9.7 or something like that like they're doing really really well and then of course you can find even more news on my website maroonersrock.com where i'm an editor there I do tons of reviews and features. I, I tend to not do news as often unless it's like breaking news and it's just got to be up quick. But you can find all sorts of new information on retro and modern games in both of those websites. Do check them out. So now let's move on to games that are releasing in May. And this is just a very small snapshot because a lot of games come out and we can't touch on <laughs> not even like 20% of them. So... Today, actually, a little game called Super Rude Bear Resurrection was released, and this is made by Alex Rose Studios, I believe. It's Alex Rose, and uh, this is a game that's very similar to Super Meat Boy, which is a very well-loved platformer, and it's 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 interesting because it's it's similar to Meat Boy, but it's definitely not the same because every time you die, your corpse stays, so you can use that corpse later on to avoid spikes, like you can jump off of it or cling against the wall or what have you that's fantastic i didn't know yeah. that was part of this and not only that but if it gets to the point where you like me i bodied myself basically on a level and spent over 100 lives in one spot if you have too many corpses you can hit a button or use a laser 
to clear them out. So you can not only pinpoint which corpses you want to get rid of, but you can also clear like a whole screen. Oh, shit. So it's making it's use of, of the death mechanic instead of not having you die. Yeah, but you can also turn off that feature if you want a more traditional, like, Super Meat Boy style experience. Huh. It's quick, it's fast, it's on Steam and PS4, it's very hard. I recommend it. I actually played probably two or three hours of it last night because we got an early copy for the magazine and I was having a blast. Like it was, it's got a super <laughs> cool soundtrack and like every single level has a different sound. Awesome. And there's like seven worlds and hidden bonus stages and it's crazy. It's a good time. So what else is coming out, Zach? What else we got? Uh, what else we got here? Um, we have one of the games that I'm interested to play just because of my love of the franchise uh, is uh -huh. Friday the 13th, the game. Ooh. Now, this game is survival horror, question mark. You get to experience the time of being hunted down by Jason Voorhees in all these various scenarios of what's going on. Or you get to play as Jason and hunt down the people from Camp Crystal Lake and kill them. And this is your ability to survive and get away from him or to possibly kill him. And it's very similar to um, Dead by Daylight. Yeah, that's the, my only worry about this game. Yeah, I think they're going to be super, super identical. I think there's even a third game in the works, and I can't remember what it is, but you can... So you get mm -hmm. to... He just pops up. Yeah, and uh, you can't do anything while you're invisible. You have to become visible again to do stuff in the game, which, mm -hmm. you know, is traditional of the killer. Like, you, the killer becomes materialized, and then he's swinging the axe at you. It's not you're hit with the axe suddenly and there's this invisible killer that's killed you. So you have to you get to play with this mechanic where you move faster. You get to just see what's going on. You can you just can observe appear. and strategize. Yeah, um, and you know that's fucking frightening for yourself as the survivor because you're like crap. He could just be watching what I'm doing. I can't set up anything to set defenses for him. Right. You know he could walk through the wall. Sometimes uh, you know it can be. Uh, terrifying so you have to be able to set yourself up in a place that you can hold out um probably not the best idea <laughs> in a lot of cases you know it requires that teamwork of all the survivors being able to do stuff together mm -hmm. and each of them have their own like special skills i know there's the stereotypical like jock there's like the cheerleader each of them have their own abilities i think the jock in particular has like a melee attack that can definitely like stun jason for a short period of time yeah i think and it can uh break uh, other survivors out like if he Jason's got somebody he can he can free him by being able to hit him and uh the other th cool thing about this game is it is multiplayer just in case anybody wasn't aware of this but it has a single player component and each of the different iterations of Jason also have their own different abilities setups quirks uh weaponry special kills it's it's very much a love letter to the franchise of the films and it's very like precise in its details the general setup is something that they can put a lot of pieces into. And I believe, uh, I don't remember which of the actors, because I'm sure they had different ones for Jason over the years, but one of the classic actors is the guy who did all the motion capture and like voiceover for this version of Jason. Uh -huh. So once again, it's very true to the to the franchise. And that's coming out later this month, May 26th, yes. on Steam, Xbox One, and PS4 all at once. So console gamers can get in on that action too. But that is my main worry, is that it might be... I think Dead by Daylight might have jumped it, and I don't know if people are going to be into that style multiplayer after already experiencing Dead by Daylight. 
that's uh, I've talked to my friends that I game with most of the time. That's one of the big concerns for them too. Is there's the Friday the Thirteenth mm-hmm. game and there's Dead by Daylight, and they believe already without being able to play this one that they're the exact same game. Right, and that's a problem. Yes, for the marketing because I hope that they'll essentially be similar, but I I think Friday the Thirteenth might for one be a, a a bigger name with the franchise of Friday the Thirteenth. But it sh- it may also do things a little better because it's this is a Kickstarter project. It's been around for a while. It's got a lot of polish. It seems from a lot of the demos I've seen, and even um, Adam Sessler of Xplay fame, he's a big part of this project too. He's part of the marketing, and I'm not real sure what his job title is. And the last time I heard him talk about it, he wasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> But he's involved, and that makes me happy because he's one of the reasons I'm a journalist today. Also coming out in like three days on May 5th is Prey, which is not the old Prey that we had back on 360 about the Native American killing aliens. This is a more love letter to System Shock. It's a very, it's it, it's a linear game, but it has a lot of open spaces, and it's very much a survival horror, and you're taking on these like, mimic like creatures that are very alien and they're strange and they can turn into chairs and coffee cups and shit (laughs) and like your character can do that too so you can hide from monsters as like a stapler (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know that part of it that sounds yeah (laughs) but it's also got like all these weird weaponry and like really cool guns and it looks like a really interesting game because it's made by the same guys who did dishonored which has been known to be a very focused experience with a lot of pluses Yes, uh, I always did enjoy the the Dishonored franchise's options to do stuff, while yeah, while still in a kind of railroad capacity. Mm-hmm. It's very much a linear game, but it gives you freedom in the tools that it sets you up, and then it also lets you do like an entire run pacifist, and yes. that's totally viable. And the game's kind of built behind that. I don't know if Prey will have any sort of pacifist style run, knowing the studios maybe. Maybe. Uh, it looks cool, especially being set in an alternate reality. It lets, opens up even more options, too. Yeah, there's well, definitely some sort of uh, dimensional stuff going on. Yeah, because this one's set in a, a timeline where uh, John F. Kennedy survived and they dedicated more money to the space program from oh. that point onward, which makes the space travel like seem much more viable. You know, An extra almost 100 years of space flight and space program funding went into where they are at their point in time. It reminds me of a mixture between Bioshock and like the Aliens universe, and that's exciting. I loved Bioshock. Anything that looks like it is very fun to play for me. Yes, yeah, Bioshock is one of the like, it was one of the highlights of gaming over the span of probably the last 10-15 years. It's definitely like in the top 10 these are the most quintessential games of this generation. I need to make a list on that. I should make a list of like 2000 to 2010. Here are the games that are the most influential. Dark Souls would be on that list as well. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> we both are huge fans of Dark Souls and fingers crossed for Bloodborne 2 announcement at E3. That's that's when yeah, you know it's Software is very aware of their history and they respect it a lot. Even Dark Souls 2, the weird one that like wasn't made by Miyazaki. There's a lot of references in 3 to 2. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So we have Injustice 2 coming out later this month as well on uh, May 16th for PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. Uh, now, any 
anybody who's a fan of a fighting game should have some fun with Injustice as well, especially superhero fighting games. Because mm-hmm. the first one hit pretty well. I'm not overly into uh, fighting games myself, but I enjoyed the universe and what was going on in the story from it too. And all of the play seemed very fun. You know, there's lots of flashy stuff going on. It's very, very entertaining to see like each character's power being used against another in maybe circumstances where they never would have fought. Like, I don't know of very many times where the Joker in like Aquaman would have fought. And Aquaman looks badass. Like the the art style for Injustice is is very cool. They take the characters and kind of make them their own. And it's a fighting game that like it's so much fun to watch. But even for hardcore fighting games, there's a lot of fidelity because it's made by the guys who did Mortal Kombat, and they're very much aware. Like ever since Mortal Kombat Nine on 360 and PS3, they've been killing it. <laughs> Those guys like, are. They- they shied away from all this 3D stuff, and now they're like they're more focused on the 2D fighting plane, and they're they're doing such good things. It's got that more traditional feel. Because the only 3D fighting games that I ever got kind of into was Namco's, that Soul Calibur and Tekken. Yeah, I've I've always picked up all of them except for the most recent one, and that's because it was lacking in features that I felt just the game needed. And even the director, uh, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he apologized. Because it was a rushed project, uh, he wanted to include more and more story, and I think he had to fight to even get the very basic story mode that we had, which was just five fights and, like, pictures. I think they stayed up for, like, a week straight making all those art assets and stuff and trying to piece together some sort of narrative. Yeah, and, that's- and that's where Injustice has been doing really well, is their story modes, like you mentioned earlier, are fantastic. And I expect a similar situation in Injustice too. Yeah, and it it takes you through more than just one character. Like, you play through Mm -hmm. almost all of them, if not all of them, when you go through the story modes of these. Yeah, probably 90% of the main cast. You know, it gives you the option to play them if you want. It forces you into trying something new if you're not into trying something new. And the way, like, the dialogue is presented and then it just seamlessly shifts into the combat. Like, I always really enjoyed that in Mortal Kombat 9 and why I started picking up this sort of uh, renaissance that... uh, Ed Boon and his team has started putting together. Oh. And Mortal Kombat 10 is still seeing circuits in like the professional fighting game ranks, and so is the original Injustice. So both of those games are they, they kind of live in this space that they're they're really good love letters to fans, and they're very like visually gorgeous, but they're also like super tight fighting experiences for those that want that more depth. And Injustice 2 seems to be doing a lot of that. It's also got the customizable characters with different armor slots and all that so it's looking like a must-have title for fighting fans absolutely it's it's something i would highly recommend even if you're just trying to dabble in it this is going to definitely be a good spot to be yeah even if you're not the biggest dc fan like i'm not but i enjoyed the first injustice i'm not an overly huge dc fan either uh except for maybe um infinite crisis that's it where everything everything gets completely shuffled and upside down yeah that is a cool situation sad but very cool and that was probably the most i liked about dc uh except for they have some really good lore Mm -hmm. now here's an interesting release um this system has yet to really find its teeth the playstation vr had a really good experience in the triple a space with resident evil 7 but now we're getting a a more traditional sci-fi shooter in the form of farpoint actually made by sony i believe i know it's being published by sony 
Uh, Farpoint is a first-person shooter that utilizes the motion control and the PSVR headset. It's also coming packaged with a, a shell, so to speak. It's a very weird-looking thing. It doesn't look like a rifle, but whenever you hold it, it makes the PlayStation Move controllers feel like a rifle. Have you played with any VR systems, Zach? Um, no, I've done a lot of reading about them. Uh, I know that Spam has one, or, mm -hmm. well, Spam and Preston and those guys, they have one that their friend left with them. Oh, okay. And they've been really into it there above Bristol, uh, playing a lot of it. So now, which system do they have? PS4. Oh, okay. So they've been playing with all the PS4 VR stuff and have been really stoked by it. Like, anything that there's been, like, especially the horror stuff, Spam's <laughs> always been telling me about all of his jump scares from everything. Yeah, and Resident Evil 7 is just, like, the perfect game for the VR. I feel like the controls are not quite there yet, but it's a very cool experience in the VR space. Um, I hope that... The, the problem with the VR right now is the one that has the most likely to succeed award, in my opinion, is the PlayStation VR. And I, I've played all of them briefly. Like, I, at PAX, I got to experience, for the first time, I might add, the Vive, the PSVR, and very briefly, the Oculus. And out of all of them, the Vive is the most precise and the most, like, interesting because you're interacting in, like, a square space and you can dodge around. And that's really cool. But I think the PSVR has the most likely to succeed in the home. I think that the Vive and the Oculus will make a better stand in arcades and barcades. As, like, here's something that you're going to do for a very short amount of time. It's a very focused experience. And you'll notice that a lot of these VR games are kind of made in that arcade mindset. There's a score counter. It's usually wave-based fighting. Um, I played one, which I recently did a piece on, uh, called Reborn VR. And that's over on Marooner's Rock. I also played their title, um, Ancient Amulator, on PS4 VR. But Farpoint might be that, like, AAA killer app to actually push people into the VR. I kind of wish there was some sort of either bundle or like price drop on the VR headset when this releases. That would be perfect. Yes. Um, speaking of the price, there's a... I cannot remember what all companies are making it, but there's a another line of VR headsets that'll be coming out more in tune with your computer and mm. gonna be optimized a lot for Windows 10 and up sort of OS. And they're going to have a price tag that's looking like $150 to $200 cheaper than like the Oculus Rift. I was just looking at it earlier. I was actually trying to go back through my browser history and find it again. But <laughs> it's extremely exciting to see some of the stuff that can be coming out with it because that puts it much more into the price range of, you know, a gamer's hands rather than something you would need to save and buy for to get this one thing. Right, because as of now, that's the biggest problem with VR. It's just it's so expensive, especially for the two PC ones, Oculus and Vive. Not only are you shelling out the $700, $800 for the systems and all the accessories, but you're also having to shell out probably $1,500 for the PC if you don't already have one that's capable. Yeah. And a lot of people are finding that even their high-end graphics cards are needing an upgrade to something that's more VR-ready. And that's why I think the PlayStation 4 VR is going to be what brings us to the VR gaming space in a more um, in a more frequent manner. Because the most most people in the current set generation have a PS4. It sold like 45 million units or something last time I checked, and that was probably a year ago. So we're looking at over 15 or 50 million homes 
having a PS4. That's why we're seeing so many games come out for the PS4. So the fact that that VR is just an add-on that any PS4 will run, sure, it looks better on like the PS4 Pro, but it'll run on a basic vanilla model. And it's the price of the PS4 VR is about the same as a typical PS4. It's like 400 bucks. Yes. So I'm I'm hoping that eventually that's what's going to take off is the PlayStation one because I'm seeing a lot of like tentative development. A lot of companies are trying, but they're not putting as much resources into it as their other projects because it's just not a good market quite yet. Right. You know, and that's what we need. We need a title like Farpoint. Yeah. And it's where it's a developing market and people don't want to spend so much on it. It's also going to allow people to find a very, a much cheaper solution to their VR for mm-hmm. the headsets, which is what I'm excited about with the the update for VR with P- Windows 10 and stuff. Uh, looking at back at this article, it's talking about some of the headsets will start at you know like $299 versus other headsets like the Rift, which is going to start at like $600. So that's actually yeah. like you're looking at almost a $300 gap in the kind of thing you could do. So with this mm-hmm. sort of thing, gaming on PC, you could get a $300 headset and five or six games versus you know one headset no games unless it comes with a bundle and you know getting your start there and your feel for how you like that kind of world right um i will say that anybody that wants to dabble in vr and just kind of experience what it's like to have a screen like an inch from their face try the samsung one like all these mobile ones that you can just snap your phone into most people have a phone that's like compatible with these units And I know with Samsung in particular, a lot of times if you go to get the Galaxy, they'll include the headset if you fill out something online or something. So, I mean, if you're interested in VR, that's what I recommend trying. And if it's at the point where you're like, oh, this is kind of cool, but I I want something more serious, then look into like either the Vive or the PSVR, see what all kind of games are on them. I know there's a lot of crossplay between the Vive and the Oculus. But uh, the Oculus is more desk-centered, while the Vive is more, like, space-oriented. So check out some of the games that are available. I, I think it's something worth looking into, because I played a lot of VR games at PAX, and it was definitely an experience that, like, it's hard to explain without actually being in it. But it's exciting, because it's kind of what, like, the 70s and 80s kind of wanted, right? Like, even Nintendo had very early 3D stuff built into things. They did. Sega did, too. Mm-hmm. It's it's very exciting uh, to see what's going on with it. And to hear much more about it going on with gaming now than porn, like, in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a, like, there's a whole section dedicated to VR porn, which, I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, uh, that's a whole other route of things, That's though. why we're using DVDs. If it wasn't for the porn industry, we wouldn't be on DVDs. Yeah, and... Honestly, the porn industry has got a very interesting pioneering effect on a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind (laughs) of great. (laughs) So I don't know if you're much into this next entry in our games releasing, but uh, Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valencia is coming out May 19th, and I am pumped. I'm so excited. I love this franchise. Okay, explain to me some about that, because I don't know much about Fire Emblem Echoes. Okay, so Fire Emblem is a it's a turn-based tactical RPG. It's notorious for being hard, but also it's here recently it's got like this uh this relationship thing, which old Fire Emblems had like if units were next to each other and they talked to each other, they would get better stats accordingly. 
but uh the 3ds games awakening is where it started really embraced that so now characters can get married they can have children and i don't know if that translates into this newest game but this is a continuation of the excellent franchise that has been fire emblem on the 3ds what's interesting about this particular game it is a remake of a game called fire emblem gaiden which is actually the second entry in the series way back on the super famicom oh wow yeah, so this is a title that never saw the light of day anywhere else other than Japan, and it's coming back in a big way. And it's it's weird because this Fire Emblem actually has like a dungeon crawling uh, aspect, which no other Fire Emblem had. So you actually became your character and went through dungeons and found treasure, like a very Final Fantasy-esque um, situation. And then when you run into battles, it would throw yourself into the traditional like military map and you move your units around. And it's a very addictive game. And it's a very, like, well-polished game. And the more you know about it, the better it becomes. Because it is, at the end of the day, a very strategy-heavy title. And I'm so excited for this. It's something yeah. I'm going to be checking out a lot of. And it's also... The the uh, recent entries are great for casual gamers as well. Because permadeath is a big thing in the old Fire Emblems. If you lose a character, you're going to have to play the rest of the game without that character. And that sort of risk-reward system becomes a big part of play. Um, there's a mode in all these 3DS Fire Emblems where that is not a thing. They call it, um, I think, just normal mode. But you can go into the hardcore mode where you reinstate that permadeath. And that's usually how I play, just for fun. But it's exciting. Um, I love projects that take older games that never saw release and update them for the future. That's why I, was, I, I got Final Fantasy 3 day one, because it had never hit the light of day in America. And it got like a completely crazy upgrade. Yes, this this trend of bringing back the old like staples of things in certain places and recycling it to be a new staple, especially because uh, at this point, you know, gaming culture and stuff is not not very small. It's a very large community now. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody plays some kind of game, from mobile to platforming. You know, people play board games and chess and stuff too, like outside of that. And That's all of this is, recently. yeah, and all of this is very big uh, stuff to have happen. You know, anybody who's slightly interested in more than just their one single thing that they do, if they do multiple things, any of this kind of news is very good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I love it too from a history standpoint because fi- uh, most people don't know about Fire Emblem Gaiden. And it's one of those things that you can go out and you can get a translation ROM emulated, but it is very much a like niche sort of experience. So the fact that a lot of developers are bringing these old franchises, because gaming has got to the point that even these old franchises are super relevant. Like I can go back and play NES, uh, whatever, like Zelda, and it like it it doesn't feel old to me. Now, some of the early 3D polygonal stuff on the PS1 and N64 definitely hasn't aged well, but, like, a lot of the old pixel art is timeless. It's classic. Yeah, and, and they're still doing pixel stuff today. Like Yeah. And in that old style, like, uh, they're getting ready to release another Double Dragon. Yeah, that's already out. Um, Double oh. Dragon 4. Oh, shit. I'm, <laughs> I'm, like, off a couple of couple of days of everything then. My bad. Yeah, that came <laughs> out, I think, in February, but it wasn't nearly as cool as what it could have been. But a lot that's a cool thing about it is a lot of the indie developers who are our age in their early 20s and uh, early 30s, those developers are looking back to their favorite games. And that's why we're getting a lot of pixel art. I'm interested to see 
what the next 10 years will hold because all the kids who grew up playing Minecraft and like 3DS stuff, what are they going to make? Oh, like man. that's going to be an interesting time in gaming. Very much, especially uh, that whole the whole ga bridged gap, you know, like where we changed from pixel art to like disc, you know, yeah. like Tomb Raider and stuff coming out for the first time. Like that style game with that type of graphics that's not up to, uh, you know, the current kind of graphics we have. They've been remaking some of that now, and it's been mm -hmm. fantastic seeing what they've been doing with it. And as it evolves, it's going to be in a very exciting time. Because a lot of these developers are very much um, aware of just how rich their history was. And bringing that to a new generation or just to re-experience it, nostalgia is one of the most powerful things in gaming, I'm convinced. Yeah, and that's the whole reason for Easter eggs. You know, other than yep. just the tip of the hat at, you know, hey, you know, we're tipping our hat to somebody did something really cool from another company and we're going to, like, show you show you some of the honor of it we're giving you in this game, from in this little spot. Yeah, people loved these things. Here is all of this love to it, and we're going to show you how much people loved it and how much we loved it. So what else is coming out this month, Zach? Um, one of the things I'm really excited for at the end of the month to see is Star Trek Bridge Crew. Um, this is another VR-based game where you take up uh, just part of the bridge crew in as a you know as one of the Federation officers on a new vessel. You're going to be on the USS Aegis, not on the Enterprise, but it's going to take place in the new J.J. Abrams um, universe of Star Trek with the reboot. In this one, you're playing as part of the bridge crew. You're looking at it from a whole different side. Instead of you know like all the Star Treks you see, you don't see how people are interacting with the computer, what they're doing, and what they're doing together. You see the captain initi or, you know, initiating the order to people and not how they're handled from there. In this That's one, true. you're going to be one of the people handling the orders. But the story of it is you're going into a part of space that's mostly unexplored called the Trench. And you're helping find a new planet for the Vulcans who were decimated uh, in the first movie find a new home essentially and this whole time you're having to contend with the Klingons too so there's you know gonna likely be awesome chances of war like you having to you know if you're at the helm of the um, the weapons you're gonna have to you know maintain your shields like know what's going on like be able to fire accurately and on time like all of it's very cool and gonna be in a virtual reality uh, situation you're seeing your panels you're seeing what's going on on the other people and if you're not paying attention to what's going on with your other people, listening to what they're saying, watching what's on your screen viewer inside of the cockpit of your ship, you might miss something very vital and mess up everything. Destroy your ship, fail your crew, you know, hurt something innocent. So it's, it's going to be a very cool hands-on experience for VR users, in my opinion. And a big, like love letter to star trek fans um do you know if this has multiplayer like can you have different players at different uh stations that's a good question i did not look into the multiplayer aspect of this um i do I know played that an indie game that was like that and that was even though it was very basic just the act of sitting in like a yes. uh, a control deck is very fun like oh hey uh you need to fire at this location and then you tell the, the captain says yo pilot turn us 30 degrees west or whatever. This like, is, it's a very cool situation. Uh, 
I remember seeing that at uh, was it Subasicon? They had that. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's the one I played. I this, played it at a different con, but it was at that convention. This is uh, going to be set up very similar to that. It says co-op, four players. You can serve in the roles of captain, helm, tactical, awesome. and engineer. So those are your four aspects of what's very critical to success. You're not, you know, Joe Schmo monitoring life support in the corner. That is so cool. So you're going to have your one friend calling out the shots, your one friend driving you and maneuvering you in your battle, in your search. You're going to have your friend that's arming your weapons, that's making sure that your shields are okay, and you're going to have your engineer that's making sure that your ship's not actually falling apart. That sounds super addictive because, like, even though I'm not a big fan of that style of, like, science fiction, I absolutely enjoyed playing that little indie game. And something made like this with a more AAA state of mind with the franchise name of Star Trek is crazy awesome. Yeah, and this is a perfect environment for it, too, because just like yeah. that indie game, this that literally slaps perfectly into this kind of game. You know, you have that co-op mm -hmm. experience, especially if it got to the point you could have... You know, down the road, let's say they release another one of these with, you know, you can have eight crew members have somebody that's doing something totally different. Or, um, you know, this might be me stretching and thinking really far into the future. You have somebody controlling all of these four points and then still have a crew of people that go down. Like, you know, your beam down security team. So then oh, you can change it from sweet. being just operating the computer to actually being hands-on in much Do more of your uh, shooter style. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. And, then, and I think the VR space is perfect for this. Absolutely. It's going to be something exciting to see as the closer to the end of the month gets here. Now, this is also being made by Ubisoft, if I'm not mistaken, or at least they're publishing it. Yes. So it is, in essence, a AAA experience. Now, it's Ubisoft, so I'm kind of worried on the execution. <laughs> But, I don't know, this looks like a really cool... Again, this is one of those titles that needs to be really, really well polished for the VR to take off. Because between this and Farpoint, we might see a really good end to May with VR and a strong start for E3. Yes, and this is going to be uh, Oculus Rift, HTC Vive, and PlayStation VR, all three. Mm-hmm, so if you're into VR gaming and you have a unit, you can jump into this at the end of the month. Now, what's this last piece of news we have, Zach? This Capto glove that you mentioned earlier in the show. Okay, so the glove I was talking about, as Alex said, is the Capto glove. This is um, a new type of glove coming out. It's got a rather expensive tag on it right now at 210 US dollars. But mm -hmm. it's, cons it's basically a non-software needed, no hardware needed bluetooth glove with a fairly long battery life from what i've been reading that gives you the option to do many many different types of gaming right now it's compatible with uh your pc your android tv your android phone your apple tv and your ios features it's going to allow you to have that experience of holding the pistol in your hand in a shooter and using your trigger finger to actually fire using mm. your hand to move your view to where you can see what's going on around you. Um, you know, it just is supposed to sync exactly like Bluetooth would. Like, so you can just sync up straight to your phone and begin using it. Description of it reads, you can point weapons, drive vehicles, and you could even go to the point that you use 3D CAD models and produce them. Because this glove will give That's you cool. all of the options to do more than just gaming with. Like, uh, 
as part of the video, you get to see them moving around stuff on their smart TV from across the room with their hand in the air, uh, you know, messing around on their computer, and this is all wirelessly. You know, like, it's just a glove you slip on, and it's made by a very... Right. Uh, and that's, I think, was the most exciting thing to me. Uh, do you know if this has, like, tactile feedback at all? Is there any sort of vibration built into the into the gloves? Um, It does not look like it supports any kind of vibration of anything like that. Um, okay, because that would be sweet if you could, like, feel the object you were picking up, so to speak, in, like, VR spaces. That That's awesome. Actually, I'd never thought about that kind of immersion mm -hmm. into it, but that would be a fantastic way to go. Uh, as for this glove, it's very thin. Uh, it doesn't look like it's going to have a whole lot of overbearing things on it, but you can see, if you look at it, it's mostly black with uh, green points on it that are, I guess, your sensor relays. Mm -hmm. And on the fingertips, like where your fingerprints would be, is part of it. And you see a lot of people with their VR headset on going around with their hand out like they've got a gun. Specifically in a link that I will click to the show notes, it's going to be a fantastic tool to just play around with. Because... Because at the here. end of the day, this is not a game controller. This is an input device. Yeah, yeah. It's you can have your controller, you can have your input device for things too. But it, you know, it shows people sniping. It shows people using a sword. It shows people fighting off zombies with a pistol. Ooh. Uh, and this is made by Roosh. Is that the? I'm not sure if that's the correct way to say the company's name. But they make a lot of soccer gloves or like rugby gloves. And it's so this is something that's probably going to last the casual use of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a, they're a well-known company, so I don't see anything going wrong with what they're doing. Like, as far as, like, its durability or, you know, life. And where it's all wireless, it's got a long um, battery life. This isn't something you're going to have to worry about stopping and recharging instantly. And it's thin, mm -hmm. so it's not bulky. It's not going to get in the way. Um, it's not like the power glove. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No power glove, no power fist. And it looks as simple as this man putting it on, setting in the middle of a mall, putting on his VR headset, and now he's off. Like, he's flying. That's he's awesome. using his hand, turning, like, uh, not rotating, like, not turning it in the air, but just rotating his hand around his wrist to turn his plane, to drive his car, to move forward, to move back. Uh, that could be such an interesting, like, I, I imagine, like, everybody wants Jarvis, right? Like, the Iron Man tech is is attainable. It's something that can totally be a thing. So, like, I, I imagine somebody created, like, an engineer or something with two of these gloves, maybe, creating, like, a bridge or something with uh, the glove and altering these hologram spaces and throwing stuff out. Like, the, the Iron Man level of fantasy is quickly becoming reality. Yeah. And that's what we saw years ago with Star Trek. The fantasy eventually became reality. It's wonderful. Uh, especially just recently, they had a contest to create a medical tricord from Star Trek. Oh. And two companies completed a prototype that did very, very similar things to exactly what the tricorder did on Star Trek. And that's I the analysis you. thing, right? Yeah, that would tell you, you know, you're pretty beat up, you know, you may have this disease, and two companies have created a prototype of that now. And that could revolutionize knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. Like, just That's knowing awesome. how to use the tool, you could have the tool, you know, in a school emergency box, pop it out, go see what's wrong with a kid that might be in serious danger, and you have that less gap of figuring out what's going on and knowing what's going on and responding faster. That margin of error shrinks. Yes, yes. 
Uh, also, on the note of this glove though, Alex, something you'll be excited with is it looks like it's backwards compatible to old, like, pixel style games, old art games. To where Ooh, you can, Bobby. You can completely redo it to where you can use the glove's controls and, you know, climb, go down, jump over Twitch cabins. Stream. I want Twitch streams of people doing, like, the uh, speed runs with this glove. I want somebody beating Dark Souls on it tomorrow. <laughs> what I want to see is somebody go back through, like the guy did in Resident Evil 7, the new one, with that knife run with just this glove. Ooh, that'd be cool. In the VR space, like, mm -hmm. that'd be awesome. Yes. Dude, people are crazy. Like, I can't do a knife run on any of them. <laughs> Maybe four if I tried really, really hard. <laughs> I, there's no way I could. <laughs> so that was a, a small snapshot of what's coming out in the gaming world in this month. And once again, that's a very small percentage of what's actually coming out. There's all sorts of crazy indie games. There's all sorts of even, like, AAA games. And where I found a lot of this information was OpenCritic.com which is a score aggregate site that only focuses on those who are like the magazines who are actually focused on gaming. You're not going to get Time Magazine's review scores on OpenCritic.com. I'm sorry, but you're just not. Um, and I also contributed to that. And I believe um, the other website I mentioned, WWG, might contribute to that as well. So if you're looking for a more accurate representation of like the the actual number of what a game might be definitely check out opencritic.com and there's also you can look at different critics and like comment and interact with the reviews and it's a really cool site and that's where i get a lot of these bigger titles as far as release windows so definitely check out that website all right guys that'll wrap it up for this week's episode of the forever classic podcast if you enjoyed your time here with us please come back next week be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever else social media you have. And if you have any suggestions, please leave them there. Talk to us, comment to us, and we will be sure to get back to you. Thank you, and we hope you enjoyed it. Intro to our show was BitQuest by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0 slash music by Sweet Wave Audio. This is their free ambient loop. Thank you.